over the last year or so, I've really been on this adventure to really dig into what our identity is as people of God. And let me explain what I mean when I say that. I think far too often, as we read through scripture and even as we live our lives, far too often we get caught up in what I would call the symptoms. We get caught up in all of the exterior things that are going on, and we forget to go back to the foundation to understand what our identity is. And I've continued to go down this road to discover this. Maybe you've even noticed this in the series that we've been doing. At the beginning of the summer, we did a series called Image Bearers, where we talked about how really the foundation of our identity as people of God, as his creation, is that we are made in his image. It's this unbelievable truth that we see in scripture has these amazing implications that we need to be aware of in our relationship with him and in what he wants to do in and through us. The last few weeks and months, we've been in a series called Disciple, where we've said over and over again, we are true followers of Christ. That is our identity. That's who we are. And we want to see that every moment of every day. And so I just continue to go down this path. And then recently, as I've been reading through bits and pieces of the New Testament, I've just continued to see all of the different metaphors and analogies that scripture shows us about the nature of God and who we are in response to that. For instance, we see that he is described as the shepherd and we are his sheep. It's trying to point us to the fact that he is our protector. He is our provider. He is the one that leads and guides. And so we need to listen. We need to obey. We need to follow after him. We see in John 15 that he is the vine and we are the branches. In other words, if we want to do anything good, anything worthwhile, we have to first understand that he is the source. And so we got to get close. We have to abide in him in order to see these things play themselves out. Even throughout scripture, we see him described as groom and we are his bride. Like this whole new level of love and intimacy that we see through these different metaphors and these different pictures of who we are. But there's one in scripture that has just continued to come to my attention. And so that's what I wanna talk about today. We're gonna begin in Romans chapter eight, Verse 15, I just want to read this scripture and then we'll stop and we'll talk about it for just a second. But this is what we read. It says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, this is actually a pretty popular scripture in our, kind of our church culture today. You're probably somewhat familiar with it, maybe have heard it before. If nothing else, we, we sang about it today, right? But here's what's interesting to me about this. The reason that this has become a very popular scripture within our culture is because of the, the first part of this scripture. It says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. And that seems to be where our eyes tend to go. And I understand why that is the case. That's because all of us have experienced fear before, right? We, we know what that is like. We know what that feels like. And we don't like that, right? We, we don't want to live in that. We don't want the, that to surround us. And so that's where our eyes 
tend to go. The problem is, is we're focusing on the wrong part of that scripture. Yet again, we're looking at the symptom as opposed to our identity. And the heavy emphasis of what Paul is trying to communicate at this point in scripture is our identity. It's, it's who we are in Christ. And so I want to zoom out a little bit on this section of scripture and show you just how clear this truly is. So let's rewind to verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 17. This is what he says. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, there's a lot of goodness in there that we could unpack, but the clear force of what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that our identity is that we are children of God. Like, it's this unbelievable thing that we see over and over in Scripture that, that we are his children. And in fact, when you read through chapters like Romans 8, what you will quickly understand is that this isn't just a metaphor. This isn't just an analogy. This is reality. This is who we are in our standing and in our status with God. He is our heavenly father and we are his children. It's this amazing thing that we need to cling to. And as this has continued to make its way through my heart and through my mind, I've been asking myself questions like, what would it look like if we truly understood the concept that we were children of God? What would it look like if we understood that? In fact, what is scripture maybe trying to point us to as it identifies us this way? What, what can we learn from this? How can we grow in this and our relationship with him and in how he wants to use us? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The title of this message is very simple, very clear. I am a child. I am a child. Um, I, I did a, a somewhat similar message to this years ago. And I titled it, Act Your Age. And I quite like that title because it's a, a twist from how we would typically use that phrase, right? Typically when we say that, we're meaning you need to grow up, right? You need to mature, you need to act a bit older. And what I'm communicating here is actually the opposite. We need to go back to our childlike nature and our relationship with God. We, we need to act like a kid again when it comes to how we relate to him. Now I have to tell you, as I've been studying this topic, as I've been thinking about acting like a kid again, I don't know if this is a guy thing. I don't know if it's because I'm a younger sibling, but the idea of acting like a kid comes quite natural to me. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but I'm really good at acting like a child. In fact, I was going through my memory bank, and I can remember that when I first got married, of course, we moved in together and all that fun stuff. I can remember the first few years of marriage having to remind myself, man, you can't do the things that you used to do all the time. Your wife is watching you. You're acting like an idiot. <laughs> I can remember telling myself, and sometimes I would forget until after the fact. Like I would run through the living room and like hurdle over the ottoman and like dive under the couch and I'd stop and think, oh my God, did she see that? I Oh my God, I would run up and, you know, like dive onto the bed and, and do like the angel thing on the covers and 
And I'm like, man, I hope she doesn't see me. But it's like this childlike nature that is just rising within me. And one of the reasons is, as I said, I'm a, a younger sibling. And so my brother and I growing up, man, all we did was play. Like, that's all we did. We were constantly outside playing baseball and, and football and basketball, making up stupid, silly games. That is literally all that we did. And the truth is, is as we've gotten older, not much has really changed, right? Like, if, if there's something to be thrown, we're going to throw it. If there's a game to be played, we're going to play it, right? It's just that childlike nature. And in fact, I can remember one Christmas, um, I got him this, like, indoor electronic basketball game. I don't know if you can picture this, but it's got like the two little hoops and these little basketballs, and you try to you know, score as many as you can in a given period of time. And man, I'm telling you, we would play that thing for hours. Grown men playing this stupid little basketball game for hours. And in fact, you might be asking, exactly how old are you guys at this point? And honestly, that's none of your business. But, <laughs> but seriously... We were probably too old, right? I'm not kidding. As big as we are, as grown as we are, we're diving around and we're playing defense and we're talking smack, right? And in fact, I can remember um, his wife at times coming up the stairs and peeking her head around the corner and man, some of the looks that we would get. Oh my gosh. It was clear what she was saying. You guys need to grow up a little bit, right? But that's within every one of us. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what brings that out of you, but it's there for each and every one of us. And the thing is, is I think as children of God in our relationship with him, this is something we need to be reminded of much more often than we are. I think this is something we should cling to and, and apply much more often in our lives than we do. Now, should we mature spiritually? Should we grow in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? Should we go beyond the elementary things? Absolutely. And in fact, the Apostle Paul would say that is essential. But at the same time, I don't think we should lose this inner childlike nature in our relationship with God. I think there's something special to be discovered and applied here. And so with that in mind, I want to talk about four primary reasons why I believe this to be true, okay? Four reasons why I think we should live in our childlike identity when it comes to our relationship with him and what he wants to do in and through us. And what I would challenge you to do as we go through each one of these is to really apply it to your individual relationship with him. Like, I want you to think about how, how can I grow in this particular area? What might I be able to do on a daily basis to, to improve this aspect of my relationship with him? And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump right in. The first reason why I believe we should always be reminded of our childlike nature with God is because children listen. Children are, are really good listeners. There was a recent study at Yale University that showed a really interesting conclusion about the nature of a child. They did this very intriguing experiment. What they did is they took a very young, small child, and then they took a dog, and they compared the listening habits between the two of these subjects. So over the course of weeks and over the course of months, they, they would give them these different experiments, put them in these different scenarios, and they would see how they would respond to this. And after months of experiments, they came to a pretty shocking conclusion. And that is that actually the dog was far more likely to override bad advice 
above that of a child. In other words, if you were to tell both of these subjects, hey, go run onto a busy street, right? Really bad advice, really dangerous. The dog would be more likely to go, yeah, that's a bad idea. I'm not going to do that. That's dangerous. I'm going to hurt myself. The dog was more likely to think that way. And as they went through these different scenarios, what they quickly learned is that deep within the nature of a child is this unbelievable ability to listen. There's this obedience, there's this compliance that is deep within them. They're very effective listeners. Now, I know exactly what you're thinking, which is, if you believe children are good listeners, take my kids for the afternoon and you have fun with that. And, and uh, first off, no thanks, but I, I totally understand. I totally understand. I got two kids of my own, four-year-old daughter, one-year-old son. And uh, my one-year-old is at the point now where my wife and I often look at each other like, is he ever going to learn to listen, right? Because he ever going to be able to comprehend what we're trying to tell him? And so I very much understand that. But actually, there's really interesting research around this as well for parents or for guardians. And I think it's relevant to this topic. And that is research shows. Now, this is obvious at first. Research shows that, that children have very little perspective, right? Like children, they don't have a holistic viewpoint. They don't have a macro idea of how the world works or what a day might entail. And in addition to that, they have very little control of their lives, right? And so rarely, if ever, do they know what the plan is going to be. They're not thinking, here's what this day might entail, and, and here's what I might come up against. Here's how I can prepare for that. There's none of that foresight within the mind of a child. And so as a result, what research shows is that when they are in an atmosphere that they're familiar with, and there's some level of, of comfort involved, whether that's at home, in the car, at grandma's house, whatever it is, they are far more likely to disobey or to kind of go rogue in that type of atmosphere because they finally feel like they have some control. Like, I finally feel like I know what's going on, and so I don't need your directions, right? I don't need your advice. I'm, I'm good to go here. But then, of course, you take that same exact child, and you put them in an unknown environment, right, with unknown people and, and unknown variables. All of a sudden, there's a huge shift in their attitude and their approach. All of a sudden, they start sticking real close to your side, right? And they start grabbing for your hand, and they're listening to every word that you have to say. All of a sudden, things begin to shift. I learned this lesson from my daughter recently. Um, I took her somewhere where she had never been before. Now, first off, my daughter is very independent at heart, okay? She's very active. She wants to be going and doing her own thing, but I, I took her to this particular place she had never been before, and as soon as we got there, it was a little chaotic, like things were happening that you couldn't predict, and, and she could even feel it was a bit of an uncontrolled environment, right? And it was amazing to me, every minute of that evening, she was attached to my hip. She would not move at all. And in fact, uh, several times I would look down at her, and she'd kind of look up with those puppy dog eyes like, do not leave me, right? Stand right here beside me. It was amazing to watch her response to that environment. Now, of course, if we turn the spotlight onto us, and we try to understand what this means for us as children of God, what we quickly learn is that the problem is, as we get older and as we step into adulthood, we feel like we almost always have control, right? Like, like we know what's going on. We, we think we have the necessary perspective to figure anything out. And so nearly every situation that we're in, we're conditioned to think we've got it under control, and the worst possible thing happens when we have this type of attitude and approach, and that is we stop listening. We stop listening to God. 
See, just like that child who's in that familiar atmosphere, we don't, we don't need his direction anymore. We don't, we don't need his advice anymore. We're good to go, right? Now, of course, we wouldn't say that verbally, and, and we may not even be thinking that overtly, but more often than not, that's exactly what we're saying through our actions. I've got this under control. I don't need you. And isn't it funny? It's not until something happens that we weren't expecting or we get ourselves in a situation that we don't know how to get out of that we finally make our way back to his still small voice. Happens the exact same way as children of God. I was thinking about this practically and how it works itself out in our lives. And what I began to realize, especially in today's world, is that the idea of actually listening to God, like hear me, actually listening to God is really a practice that is, is lost for many of us in our culture today. Like if we're being honest, we don't remember the last time we've like intentionally leaned into God's voice or, or tried to mindfully follow after his direction. We don't even remember the last time that we've done that. Now, again, part of that is because of the control, right? We feel like we have control. We want control. Another reason why we, we talked about at the beginning of this year is uh, more and more today, things are sped up and we're in such a hurry that we can't even slow down and just listen and be quiet for a moment. There are many different variables, but the bottom line is this. As children of God, we need to seriously make some changes here if we're going to walk in this the way that we need to. As children of God, we need to make some serious changes in our hearts, in our minds, in our practices. We need to truly prioritize listening again. I mean, it's, it's that simple, but it's, it's that important. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that at, at every decision point throughout the day, you need to stop and audibly ask God what to do, although go for that, sure. Here's what I'm really talking about, though. Listen, I'm talking about day by day, moment by moment, awareness and attentiveness to God. That's what I'm talking about. A real relationship with God where you allow life and everything that comes with it to beckon you into intimacy and closeness with him, to draw you closer and closer to his still small voice. That's what I'm talking about. Like we should be the child that's attached to his hip at all times. We should be the child constantly looking up for assurance and, and for peace and for direction. That's who we should be. That's what we should aspire to as his children. Children are good, good listeners, and we need to follow suit. Now, this leads us exactly into number two. And the second reason why we need to go back to our childlike nature is because children trust. Children trust. Isn't this one of the more amazing things that we see in the heart of a child? In fact, have you ever thought to yourself, man, it's amazing how much my child trusts me. It's amazing how much confidence that they have in me. There's an unbelievable amount of trust that a child just naturally has for their parents, right? In fact, I would bet you that for most of your children, they have never once thought to themselves, man, I wonder if, I wonder if mommy and daddy is gonna feed me tonight. I wonder if, if mommy or daddy's gonna protect me tonight. Those aren't even thoughts that run through their heads because they trust you that deeply. It's truly one of the most natural traits of a child, and in fact, I, I learned this in a really impactful way for me, at least, recently with my kids. Um, I don't remember exactly when this was, but sometime recently there was a, a big storm that swept through this area, and uh, I am naturally a very light sleeper, and so um, immediately as the wind began to, to pick up, um, I, I woke up, 
And uh, in the middle of the night, I'm trying to assess what's going on, and I can hear the rain is getting heavier. I can hear the thunder strike, and, and before long, the hail is raining down on the roof and into the siding. And so I'm looking through the window. I go downstairs. I open the front door, and I'm trying to get a bigger picture of what is going on, right? Like, is this getting better? Is this getting worse? Do I need to go get the family and take them downstairs? Like, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I get my Weather Channel app out, and I'm trying to see what the forecast is. And before long, um, things slowly but surely began to, to settle back down. The rain slowed down. And the wind began to kind of quiet itself. And so my adrenaline slowly but surely kind of wore off. But the most amazing thing happened to me as a father. And that is I went upstairs and I went into my daughter's room and I went into my son's room and they were sound asleep the entire time. In fact, I put them to bed that night, so I know this for a fact. They hadn't even moved an inch. They're not worried about the storm. They're not worried about the elements. That's daddy's problem, and he's got it under control. And see, it's moments like these in life where we have to ask ourselves, as children of God, is that how we are? As children of God, is that how we think? Is that emblematic of our actions? As the storm sweeps through our lives, are we the children that are sleeping soundly because we know daddy's got it under control? Are we up running around freaking out and stressing out because we don't know what's gonna happen? Do, do we see it as our problem or do we know that it's daddy's problem and he knows what's best? See, this is one of the cooler things about Romans eight fifteen that stands out to me, this part where it says, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, first off, I love the idea of just crying out, right? Isn't that so childlike to, to just cry out? But that word Abba is an Aramaic term for father that specifically symbolizes the intimacy and the reverence of a father-child relationship. It explicitly brings forth this idea of trust and this idea of affection that a child naturally has for his or her father. And in fact, here's another time it's used in the New Testament, this time by Jesus just before the events of his death, he says this in Mark 14, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I think this is the best use of Abba that we see in the New Testament because it specifically points us to the idea of trust. Jesus is saying, all things are possible for you. I know that you're big enough. I know that you're strong enough. I know that you're in control. And so, regardless of my situation, regardless of what I want to happen in this situation, your will be done. I trust that you know what is best, and so I am going to rest in that. You wanna know what a father-child relationship looks like? It looks like that, full of trust. I know that you've got this in the palm of your hands, and so I don't need to worry. In fact, isn't it interesting, as, as we read through the New Testament over and over again, we see concepts like rest and peace and contentment. And for so many of us, we read that, and that seems so elusive, like it's falling right through our fingertips. But here's the reason why we misunderstand that. Scripture is not pointing to the fact that you're not going to endure hardships. It's not pointing to the fact that you're not gonna experience pain. In fact, it says the opposite. You will experience persecutions. What it's pointing to is if you will just trust in your father, then you can experience that rest. You can experience that contentment, but you need to begin to put your trust in him. This is such a beautiful thing that we see in the heart of children and we very much need to follow suit. Now that brings us seamlessly to, to number three, and, and that is this, children, follow. Children follow. Children are, are really good, really effective 
followers. And here's the first reason why. Because in order to effectively follow, you have to be humble. Humility is step number one. And yet again, isn't this so amazing how natural that is for children? Have you ever just like stepped back and watched the unashamed humility of a child? Like if they don't know the answer to something, they ask, right? If they don't know how to do something, they call out. They, they don't care. They know their limits and they're gonna ask for help. Now, while my son isn't a very good listener right now, he's got this one on lockdown, right? He is constantly, if he needs anything, he is constantly calling out, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, I need your help. It's a beautiful thing that we see in the life of a child. And in fact, Jesus appreciates this attitude so much. Watch what he says in Matthew 18. He says, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I love this scripture so much because it's so interesting how kingdom of God economics is so different than our earthly economics, isn't it? In fact, oftentimes it's upside down, right? First shall be last, last shall be first. And what Jesus is saying here is greatness in kingdom standards is intrinsically linked to humility. You need to to humble yourself. That's where you need to begin. Now, of course, the problem for us is we're too strong for that. We're, we're too independent to have that posture to need anybody else's help. We don't need that. In fact, isn't it funny as adults, if, if we don't know something, some of us would rather never know the answer than to have, to have to ask somebody, right? If we don't know how to do something, I mean, we'll Google it. We'll do trial and error, but to actually ask for help? No way. We're, we're too prideful to let anybody know that we might be lost. We might be confused. We might be ignorant. Too, too prideful to step into that. And yet again, this is such another clear reason why God calls us his children. He's like, just stop with the pride. Stop with the arrogance. Just just follow me. Just ask me. Just just call out to me. That is what he is inviting us into. In fact, watch what Proverbs 11.2 says. When pride comes, disgrace is what follows. But with humility comes wisdom. Over and over again, scripture is gonna point us to humility. You need to have this posture. You need to begin here if you're going to trust and you're going to follow the way that you ought to. Now, here's the thing. Humility is the how behind this. In other words, humility is how we effectively follow, right? It's how we effectively grow and and learn. But what about the who? How does this line up with our childlike Nature And it's actually quite funny how God works. I was kind of seeking this myself recently. And just a few days ago, I was having breakfast with somebody and they gave me the perfect quote for this. Here's the quote that they said. Babies don't look at their past to determine their future. They simply look at their parents. In other words, think about it this way. Babies don't think to themselves, man, nobody understands me right now. Like no, nobody gets what I'm trying to communicate. So I guess I'll just, I'll never be able to talk. I guess, you know, I'll just never be able to communicate. That's not my destiny. That's not how kids think because they're not looking at their past. They're looking at their parents to determine their future. They're watching us and they're saying, oh, oh, this is what I can do. This is what I'm capable of. This is who I can be. And isn't that such a great lesson as children of God? Who are we truly looking at to forge our future? Who are we truly following in order to understand what we're capable of? What are we doing in this situation? See, the big problem here for us is that we get so caught up in our past. 
We get so caught up in our mistakes and in our failures and in our weaknesses. And for many of us, that's all we can see now. As Devin was talking about during worship, we've magnified these things so much, we can't see anything else. And yet the apostle Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, I'm looking to Christ to determine my future. I'm not worried about my past, not worried about my failures, my shortcomings. I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, this is who I am following. This is who I can be like. This is who I wanna be in my future. That's how we ought to think. In fact, as we read through the gospels and we see all the amazing life-changing things that Jesus did, we need to stop ourselves sometimes and go, we can do that. Listen, we, we can live our lives like that. In fact, Jesus says, even greater things will you do in my name. Why aren't we looking to Jesus to determine our future, to determine our identity? Why aren't we walking in this every moment of every day? Maybe because we've forgotten to go back to our childlike identity. We've, we've forgotten that we need to drop the pride, drop the arrogance, and truly begin to follow this is what a child does, and this is what we ought to do as well. Here's the fourth and final one, and this is maybe my favorite thing uh, about little ones. I, I love this so much. One of the biggest reasons we need to go back to our childlike nature is because children love. Children love. They have this unbelievable natural ability to pour love out on people. In fact, I've told this story one other time, but it had such a big impact on me. I had a a buddy that I worked with for a long time at City Mortgage, a really good friend. We saw each other almost every single day and uh, went to lunch all the time, hung out outside of work. But there was a period of time where we kind of lost connection. And, and so when we reconnected down the line, by that point, he had a son. And his son was about a year and a half, two years old by this time, still a little guy, but I had never met him. And so I wanted to go to his house and be introduced. And so I remember driving over there one weekend and I can even remember in the car ride, kind of anticipating what's gonna happen. Like, is this gonna be awkward? How's this gonna go? And so I, I pulled into the driveway. I got out and knocked on the door and there was a, a few seconds of silence. And then all of a sudden I could hear like the little pitter patter of, of his feet. And sure enough, as he got closer, it's getting louder and louder and louder. And uh, there's about a moment of silence before the door goes swinging open. And I mean, like, as fast as you can, it kind of, like, hit the wall and bounced back a little bit. And uh, I looked down, and he had the biggest smile I have ever seen in my life. Now, remind you, he has no idea who I am. He's never seen me before. Biggest smile on his face. And before I could even react, he reached up his hand as if to say, here, come on, follow me. So I grab this little guy's hand and he's running as I'm walking behind him and he takes me through the dining room and through the kitchen and right into his playroom and he has me sit down right next to him. We're playing with his toys. His parents still have no idea I'm even there, which is kind of scary. <laughs> but as I'm sitting there playing with this guy, it took a few minutes before I began to realize what an unbelievable display of love and hospitality. I mean, it had such a big impact. I almost began to tear up sitting right there so I'm thinking about the love that this child has for somebody they've never even met before. What I began to realize is that the foundation of every child is this deep level of innocence and, and acceptance and love. Like, listen, they, they don't have bias. They don't have discrimination. They don't have hate in their heart. It's just openness, acceptance, grace. Like, think about it. When they meet somebody new, they're not calculating in their head, is this person good? Is this person bad? Do they have good intentions? Do they have bad intentions? No, they just open their arms and they want to be in your presence. 
man, as I was thinking about this, I began to realize this is a quality that for us as children of God, man, have we missed the mark so often. We've missed the mark in how we are to display love for other people. And the shame of it is as children of God, we should be the ones leading the way in that. As children of God, no bias, no discrimination, no hate. I'm just talking about love, acceptance, joy, grace that goes beyond what people would typically see today. In fact, that goes beyond the normal and the common within our culture. We should be the ones leading the way. Why is that? Because as children of God, we have experienced the lavish love of Christ. We have felt his grace and his mercy. And we know for a fact that we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. And yet he freely gave it to us anyways. If we understood that, like if we truly comprehended that, how freely would we love the people around us? How freely would we extend grace and mercy regardless of their status, regardless of their merit? How open-handed would we be if we understood what it meant to be a child of God? Man, why can't we be the people that, that love people so profoundly that everybody takes notice? Why can't we be people that change the world through daily, simple, powerful love for others? Why can't we do that? We can and we should. That's exactly what we're called to do. Moreover, that's exactly who we are called to be. That is our identity, people of love. And I would love, I would love for us in this community to be seen just like I saw that little guy swinging the door wide open. Come on, come with me. You're welcome. You're accepted. I would love for that to be our posture our attitude, our actions. May God help us in that endeavor. We need to get back to our childlike nature, guys. It's something we're missing out on. Can you imagine if, if we would listen, if we would trust, if we would follow in our relationship with God, what that would do? Can you imagine if we truly loved unconditionally what that would do to the world around us? Something so simple, yet something that can change the world if we give ourselves to it.